Hello and welcome to Albertland Throwers, the podcast of the Highland Games in Alberta and around the world. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Albertland Throwers, and we thank you for listening to this show. And today I have a very special guest, somebody who I don't think has even been to Alberta, so he's the first non-Albertan that we've had on the show. Um, but he's a uh, should be known to a lot of you. He's a um, podcaster himself. He does a lot of uh, Highland Games businesses and and really supports the community at large. And we have on the show today, Mike Beach. Hello, Mike Beach. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me on, man. It's awesome. And I know I'm not um, an Albertan, and I'll try to earn my way into it. But uh, <laughs> as we've been discussing, I you know I am Texan, and I feel like there's sort of a shared a shared cultural experience between us and y'all. So I feel like I feel like we're gonna get we're gonna get on the same wavelength here. I think so. I think so as well. We uh, <laughs> we both uh, have a cattle history that that we like. We both probably eat a lot of beef. We like hunting. Correct. We, uh, all things that are correct. Yeah, all things that are correct. And uh, all right. So tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, maybe uh, focus on some of your accomplishments as a Highland Games thrower. Oh, man. Um, so no major injuries over 10 <laughs> years of throwing. Yes. That's probably my number one accomplishment right there. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Highland Games guy, plain and simple. Uh, I've kind of gone all around. At first, I kind of went all around the world of strength sports when I was first starting lifting my late 20s, early 30s, kind of a late bloomer in that regard. Like I played other sports growing up. I played baseball in high school. Um, I was a fencer during college and after college. Um, so, you know, training and being an athlete wasn't anything that was foreign to me, but uh, really getting serious about strength was something that really didn't happen until like my late 20s when I was kind of hanging up, hanging up the sword, so to speak, for fencing. And uh, I tried everything, man. Uh, I tried some powerlifting, not strong enough, tried some strong man, not strong enough. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't have... Look, it's a, it's a dirty secret, but I think anybody that's been in it long enough knows like you have strength is in some ways a gift. You can work for a lot of it for sure. You can right. work very hard and get very strong, but you know, the kind of strength that comes to people who, you know, that have never uh, since the day they hit puberty have never not benched three fifteen. Right. you know, like the, those people, there's a gift there and I have no gift for it. And you know, I've, I've, that's fine. I came to grips to that pretty quickly, but the cool <laughs> thing was, I found Highland Games after doing all that dabbling and my little do whatever phase that I was in at that time. And I found it. I did not suck totally at it immediately because I understood some of the fundamentals of throwing, even though, you know, in, in the long term, probably didn't know throwing, but at least it made some sense to me. Right. And um, so it, 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 it struck me as like something I want to keep doing this. And I feel like I could get better at this. And I feel like I could reach some personal goals. It gives me a motivation to train. I like the people, um, you know, all that sort of stuff kind of fed into it. So, you know, that led to a career trying to climb, climb the ladder. Uh, you know, I threw in the A class for a long, long time uh, because at that point, you know, I was never bigger than 225 pounds ever. And that took, that took concerted effort to do that. Uh, to be 225 that took you know just a painful amount of eating for me I just uh, look man god bless the people that can stay big real big and real strong but they just have a different relationship to food than I do it's, it's a con- it's a concerted effort for me to go to 225 too but it's a different sort of concerted effort yeah yeah just the other direction right? yeah <laughs> that then that's the case and it's a similar thing man and uh you know I think it was uh I think it was Matt it was Matt Benson that said um 
that you know he made plenty of jokes about skinny guys for a long time too but he like after spending a lot of years uh being friends with me and you know like kind of traveling around a little bit and seeing more throwers he started and he put it very well but like you know to tell a guy that's like 205 to just eat your way up to go to 225 like eat just like do that man he said that's as hard as telling somebody that's 245 to drop down to 225 lose some weight Right. That's the same level of effort that goes into it. It's not impossible, but when you're calling skinny dude skinny, like, oh, just eat. Like, you have to understand it's that same, it takes the same amount of effort that it does for you to just not eat, right. <laughs> for, you to, for you to lose that weight. So, you know, I, by the time that I was, I don't know, like five, six years into the sport, the lightweight class kind of started getting some traction. Um, nothing like what it is today, but it was, you know, there were some games available and people were starting to do classes for it in Texas. Texas was kind of a late adopter. Well, I guess in all things considered, they're an early adopter now, mm-hmm. but you know, I started doing some of those games. I came back from a, a European trip once and I was so like dehydrated from travel and we had been walking all over Europe yeah. that I was like naturally like two Oh one. <laughs> when I had been like 216 when I left or something like that. Really? And uh, I just, it's, it's those numbers stick in my memory. And then <laughs> I was coming back to do a games in Kerrville, Texas. And I was like, you know what? They're doing lightweight. I'll just do it. Like, right. I'll just sweat it out a little bit and have a light breakfast. And I was, I made it and then got the win. And that was kind of like a, it was fun. You know, I kept kind of going back and forth between the classes for a while. And then I think in 2016, I really just kind of made the, you know, I was doing a lot of CrossFit. I was in probably the best shape of my life at that point. And, you know, I was hanging around in the low 200s. I didn't have to cut that much weight. And I just thought, you know what? Let's go for this. Let's do this lightweight thing. Let's right. really do it. So, let's commit um, to that division. Yeah, let's do it. Let's see what happens. Let's see how far you can go. Let's see, you know, because if I'm honest with myself, I was never going to be a pro. May, you know, maybe after another 10, 15 years of throwing and getting good, <laughs> right. out of the road, but I just didn't have the strength and I didn't have the size to really be a competitive pro. Um, I could hang out in the A's forever and be a mid-level A probably for the rest of my career until something broke. But right. maybe there's a chance to win some championships or maybe there's a chance to see. I wasn't even thinking in those terms, honestly. I was thinking like it'd be cool to travel and see some bigger games as a lightweight because I can get those invites and I can get those opportunities. I can qualify for those things. And that happened. So, you know, I was able to win a national championship in 2016, which was, uh, that was rad. That was a cool experience. Did that in Utah. Um, and then just kind of competing in the lightweight class. I went to Worlds, took second place in Worlds. Uh, shout out to Stefan Dimitrico, who took first that year, put on a hell of a performance, uh, beat me out with the weight of a bar in the caber, which if anybody's seen me throw, they know that's no surprise. <laughs> that's where I ended up losing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I just kind of bounced around. Um you know, did some traveling through and games like that. And that's kind of, you know, where I, where I stand today, you know, before the, the world went crazy. And then, you know, in the course of that, just ideas cropping up, uh, throw bros, the company that I own with uh, Aaron George started, um, that's a company that supplies the Highland games as best we can. And, um, in addition, you know, I, I wrote the book after I won the national championship because, you know, there's a good amount of content there. And then, yeah, the podcast kind of just grew out of that naturally. Look, man, I, I like to talk. You can tell, like, uh, you know, I like, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy the sound of my own voice and uh, I do a solo podcast and it's, you know, that's, I, I'm not like strictly solo podcast, but it's, you know, it's for the most, just because of when I started it in 2020, for God's sake, most of the time I'm by myself. Right. So, you know, you have to be able to talk and uh, I, you know, I like the games. I like throwing, I like coaching. Um, so that's what, yeah, that's the, that's the nutshell version, man. That's, that's kind of how I got here. It's just like a lot of other people. I just kind of fell into the sport after like, you know, trying other stuff and liking being strong and liking the training and just realizing like, Hey man, I got a community here. 
You're right. Uh, and you do have a beautiful voice. I got to say that. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. I keep it, uh, you know, there's a lot of chamomile and honey. Uh, there's a, there's, there's a whole regimen that goes into it. Let me tell you. It's kind of like Barry White's voice, you know, that silky smooth voice. Well, I'll tell you what is fooling you though, is that uh, I'm using to record this with you remotely. I'm using my full podcast setup right now. I'm not using uh, my computer mic. So yeah. that's why I sound so buttery smooth. <laughs> buttery smooth. So uh, you, you said you fell in love with the games. Um, was there kind of a first moment? I'll, I'll just tell you mine just so uh, you can have time to think about that question. But uh, yeah, mine was actually my first game. It's in a town called Red Deer here. Um, it's in between Edmonton and Calgary. It was my first games. I had been able to practice, uh, you know, wait for distance, wait over bar. I had some kettlebells that I used because um, I didn't have any equipment or anything. But I kind of, you know, you, you can get those movements. But the caber was was a, a beast that I couldn't practice before. So the first time throwing a caber was in front of the crowd. And uh, I remember being kind of petrified of the, that whole experience as it was leading up to it. When it was time... I, the caber was stood up for me and I'm looking up at this thing and, uh, it not, now I know they gave me like the smallest caber, but it seemed so huge to me <laughs> at the time. And, uh, I was looking up and kind of frightened. And then I started listening in the background and you could hear the pipers piping in the background. You have the bands, you have people practicing and you know, that whole, um, din of piper sounds that come at you, um, uh, when you're in the field there. And, and stay with you until you're in the shower. Yeah. Tonight well, afterwards. when, when yeah. I drive home and I, I kind of yes. turn off the radio, I can still hear the pipe, those, that piping <laughs> din going on. Anyways. Yep, very and, familiar. And so I put my hands on, on the caber as it, it was up in front of me and just something kind of clicked or something kind of, you know, with the pipes in the background, it was an open field in front of me. Um, it just seemed Right. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. There's something pure about it. And as I, I, I failed dismally, but uh, um, as I attempted, it was like, there's just some weird connection I had in my mind that, you know, people have been doing this for 700 years, um, doing exactly what I'm about to do. Um, it, people have been doing it over the centuries and with the exact same scenario, the pipers in the background. And there's just kind of a, I don't like to use the word mystical, but it was something like that that I had at that moment. And that's kind of my first experience. There's been many others, but first experience of kind of falling in love with the games. Yeah. I mean, there's it gives you lots of opportunities for that because and I think one of the reasons that it does that is this is, you know, I, I don't know how old of a fellow you are. I imagine you're in your 30s. No, I'm uh, 43. We actually competed 43. together in Tucson. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're the same age as me. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's I didn't realize that was so recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I start. I started when I was uh, 39, actually. So I'm. You oh, say okay. you're a late bloomer. I'm a extremely late guy. So yeah, but I think what why this sport offers those sort of things is it really is like um, it, it's just an anomaly that that I'm a 41 year old man now. And that I can go do a sport in front of a cheering crowd and they'll cheer for me to do it. And <laughs> yeah. that's like, you point to something else, another sport, somebody would go and watch me play. Right. There's not anywhere where a crowd's going <laughs> to cheer for me. And, you know, like there, there's something infectious about that, but there's, like you said, pairing that with just the, 
the 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 history of it you yeah. know and you know it's i say that but when i look at back at look back at the the moments that kind of hooked me right um they're not really about the historical part of it i i've gained a good um understanding and appreciation for the history of the games just by being a part of a part of it for so long but right. i'd be lying if i said that's why i got into it right. I, I i wanted to get into it because i wanted to be an athlete and I, i'm a meathead and you know that i wanted to compete i like the dynamic nature of it i like the competition right and i wanted to get better i don't want to train for a sport and um but there's two moments in the early career that really hooked me one was just i mean totally these are totally like you know self-aggrandizing moments but if that's totally on brand for me if you know me so um my second ever games i was thrown in the open class and i took third place and and now looking back like was the competition level super high no obviously not you know if a guy in a second games can do it but that showed me like hey dude like you're not totally lost here Mm. like this is something where you can go in and you can compete and you've got a ceiling that's higher than what you thought it might be here like you do that was cool for me to take hard Mm. that stupid little knife i was i still have that thing i'm so proud of that thing (laughs) because it was just like that first indicator of like hey man you're not you may not be a joke you know you might be able to do this um my second one um it sort of opened my eyes to my bigger philosophy about what a highland games athlete is supposed to be um, because it all, like, it's sort of, it was like a grow, a personal growth moment and an awareness moment that happened very quickly, like one after the other. And <clears throat> excuse me, when I was throwing, uh, I was throwing in San Antonio, I think it was my second year, second, maybe third year. Um, but it was the first time, uh, and I was throwing in the A class. So I was, these are, these dudes are just monsters, like physically monsters. When yeah. you look at them now, like, yeah. it's just a very clear, like, there are a bunch of zeros and I'm a one. Like that's how it looks when we line up, you know, it's like binary code. And you know, these are just thick dudes. There's, we had like the best, am- two of the best amateurs in the world throwing like it just ridiculous. And I think Spencer was in the A class at that point. So like, yeah, just ridiculous. And uh, you know, that was the first time I went over 30 with the heavyweight for distance. Mm-hmm. I think I went 32 something. And that was the first time that I did that. And I was fired up <laughs> and uh, we had a good crowd at San Antonio. I don't know for people that are listening, there used to be things called crowds where large <laughs> people would get together. Oh yeah. I, I vaguely remember this. Yes. Yeah. I was a sort of a <laughs> hazy memory of that <laughs> hazy uh, Vaseline on the lens kind of image in my mind, <laughs> but yeah, like it, the crowd was all fire. We had a great crowd at that time. We were right next to him throwing and I felt the, I, I fired up because like I, as I walked back, you know, to the side and along the ropes and everything, I had, there was like an old man and a few of the people that said like, I can't believe you can do that. Like those big guys can like, I was, I was not in last place after Mm. a 30 foot plus throw, Mm. you know, I ended up probably being in last place, but (laughs) you know, it was clear. Like I was throwing on the level that they were and people and like, you don't think that anybody notices this stuff a lot of time, but that crowd noticed. And that old man, especially like wanted to talk to me. And like, there was a, a lady with her kids that wanted to talk. And here's the the personal growth moment that happened with the lady with her kids was that kid had zero idea what I was. He was like eight, right. zero idea what I was throwing or like how far it was, or who was in first and second, who I, he didn't care about any of that stuff. He wanted to feel how heavy the 56 pound implement was. Yeah. So I said, hold on, little man. I brought it over and let him try to tug on it. And it was all the classic stuff. Like you can throw that that far. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. Little man, you just work hard. You can do it. Like. 
And that kid became a fan and his mom became a fan that day. And all the people that were around that saw that interaction became fans of the sport, not because I threw 32 feet, because I took the time to come over, engage and entertain and be right. an entertainment right. product that they came there for. Yes. And I mean, it was like, I, this didn't take me 10 years to figure out. It was like, bam, bam. Like I went from like, I'm awesome. These people love that I can do something awesome to, oh, wait a minute. This is what they're here for. They're here to be part and they want to interact. That's right. what, and that's what I'm being put on the field for. Right. I'm not being put on the field because I'm the finest athlete that the world <laughs> has to offer. And people want to see like what the numbers are. No, They've that, got that, that's my role. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's you. That's <laughs> just, that's, that's, that's um, <laughs> I don't want to steal your thing, but they, <laughs> you know, this AD and this festival put money on the table to get us here and put all this out. And so they could bring ticket buyers through the door to come watch us get thirsty and hungry and buy concessions and make everybody money. And so they can then keep those Scottish festivals alive. So those clans can continue to do the work they do. You're part of a bigger picture and you are an entertainment product. And that was such a big maturity moment for me to realize like me performing well is only important insofar as it entertains the people on the field and they can feel that competition and they can feel that these are good athletes doing a really cool thing. So that yes. was a, that, that, that kid and his mom and that old man and everything, they, that was a wake up moment for me to realize like that's more important than what I just did on the field. Yeah. When I first started, I was kind of a little shy and, and about the crowd and all that kind of stuff. But as I got uh, into it, I I found the greatest joy in uh, interacting with the crowd, and I, I go around and show my uh, hammer boots and yeah, um, just different things like that. I, I too take a I, I'll carry a fifty six around, and anybody that wants to lift it up and make sure it's not made out of styrofoam or something, um, they, they they can do that. And yeah, that, I really enjoy that moment, those moments as well. Yeah, that's what it's all about, dude. I mean, that's really being a, an aged man of the sport now being 10 <laughs> years in, like that's the part that really gets me up about it. That's yeah. like, you know, the, the, what I throw, I, you know, I like hitting PRs like anybody else, but those days are going to end, you know, yeah, sooner they, rather they than later, they're, they're going to end. And yeah. just in the ability to, to entertain and the ability to, you know, for lack of a better term, put on a show and do something cool that people don't get an often, often get an exposure to. Right. That's, that's the best part for me, man. Aside from hanging out with buddies on the field, you know, that those really the only other part that really drives me to want to get out there and do it. So I first got to know you um, on a random Amazon search. And nice. I was, I was looking for uh, just books on the Highland games and you had written a book and I think it was fairly new when I got it uh, called heavy light. Yeah. Um, could you kind of tell us just the basic outline of the premises in the book? Well, that'll cost you uh, $16. Uh, no. <laughs> I already paid it. It's okay. You already did. So you're good. <laughs> this is just like a, it's just a between you and me. <laughs> this is actually not a podcast. This is no. just, I need you to clarify <laughs> your writing for me. Um, so the, the heavy light book, it was born out of, it, it had been kind of cooking for a while, but really what drove it, put it in an overdrive was, that year, 2016, that I, I won the national title in lightweight, um, I was in control of my programming completely. I didn't outsource to anybody. Um, I didn't, you know, like I had, now I say that, but I had great advisors. You know, right. I had like, I had, I work with people, like I have the great fortune because of just geography and, and so 
social connections and previous work, like I'm friends with some of the greatest Highland games athletes that have ever walked the earth. Right. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, I taught at that point in time, I talked to Matt Vincent every day, mm-hmm. literally like we're in business together. So I talked to him every day anyway. And of course we talked training, you know, I trained with Spencer Tyler, like we lived in the same town. So we right. would go throw together. We would lift together. Like mm-hmm. we would talk training together all the time. Um, you know, there's lots of other throwers that I just spent all this time working with. And of course, that's going to, I'm going to glean some of that. I'm going to, that's going to rub off on me. But by that time, you know, I've been in the sport since 2010, 11, and I was, you know, not a dummy in terms of putting a, a training blocks together. So I was, you know, I built my entire training year and especially my peak, my peaking block um, to peak for that games. And I've never had a year of training um, work better. I've never had one come together as well as that did. And it occurred to me, it's like, dude, you got to do something with that. Right. right. Because you, you went from somebody who, you know, doesn't have a throwing background, did not like a track and field throwing background, which is like, you know, almost a cheat code into doing the sport (laughs) a little bit better, but you didn't have that, but you came from that to getting yourself to the A class, to getting yourself to a championship. And, you know, there are bigger accomplishments in the sport for sure. And there's people who throw a lot farther, but I think for people, that don't know how to get started, how to train or how to program a year of throwing. Like, I don't think there's a resource out there for them. I think a lot of the resources assume, uh, you know, a certain level of understanding and they generalize a lot of things without giving you the nuts and bolts for mm-hmm. throwing. So there were, you know, and there were great books out there for the weight room. Matt's training lab was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, Dan had behemoth there, there, there's other, there, there's good training. There's good lifting out there. I think it was, there was pretty good resources, but there really wasn't anything specific of like, Hey, here's like the kind of program a track coach would give you, right? you know, or here's, you know, even then, like I diverged from that. I can go into that more too, but you know, the nuts and bolts of it are is like, Hey, if you break, if you use a block periodization scheme, like training lab, and you, you look at your season, you're going to have an off season, a preseason, an in season and a peak season optionally. So what I wanted to do was explain what those all were and then give people, um, like again, nuts and bolts, give them actual structure to how you build a training session off of those, how you build a training week, how you build a training block, right. and then give them example drills and give yeah. them, um, you know, and then example like blocks of the year, like, hey, here's what this should look like. Here's what your rotation of the implement should be like. Hey, if you want to throw overweight or underweight, here's how you implement that. Um, just the stuff that nobody told me all at once, I guess, is what I wanted to get the stuff about throwing this stuff that everybody's figuring out on the fly, but then nobody ever really like writes down and leaves for anybody, you know, like, you know, I don't throwers that were using underweight and overweight forever, but nobody ever like put down on papers, like, Hey, here's generally what we mean by underweight. And here's a good way to use it. Or here's a, here's what overweight means. Or, um, you know, here's what a drill is. Here's what a variation is. Here's what, you know, all those sort of things. How many drills should I do? What drills work for this? That's the stuff I wanted to get into it. And that's what the book, the, what the real function of it was to build a philosophy of how to practice the Highland games, not just to like, and this is in the first pair first chapter of the book, too many people go out and throw, they just go out and throw. And yeah. that's not practice. Yeah. Practice is, is very meticulously breaking things apart, looking at the pieces that are, that are broken or need work, working on them individually and working on those movements sticking them back together partially, then stick them fully back together and start adding intensity and speed. 
every practice on the planet earth for anything, whether it's chess, whether it's archery, whether it's Highland games, it all looks like that. And nobody, I just thought it would be good to have a resource that said, Hey, here's all the pieces of Highland games that you can take apart and put back together. Yeah. So for me, uh, probably the biggest, uh, light bulb moment was, uh, I, I think a lot of people come into the games with this kind of philosophy. Um, they understand the overweight. So if I can throw a 30 pound, yeah. Uh, wait for distance and you know the 28 will be easy or if i throw a 40 pound it will be easy right and and so they i add the mentality to uh if i'm gonna error on my uh, weights to error higher and then so i'll be able to throw f- further but i didn't really factor in the speed um, d- development part of it yeah and we're actually having a lighter weight and um, to increase your speed is actually just as valuable as the strength part of it. hundred percent. And it, you're right. That's one of the most common things. When I get new coaching clients who are brand new, I, I ask for their list of implements, what they have. And a lot of times like, well, I got a 30, you know, I got a 34 pound um, <laughs> Raymar stone or like a 28 pound open stone. I got like a, I made a 36 pound weight or whatever. Like it's like they want, they have that same mentality and that is part of it. But if I had to pick, honest to goodness, I would rather somebody have lighter stuff than the competition. If you had to pick one or the other, both is great. But if you had to pick one, pick the lighter one, because what people, what new people don't get, because they just, you know, obviously, understandably don't understand all these stages of a throw and how it works and what connection to an implement is. They just, they're thinking in terms of like, well, like you said, if I can throw this heavy thing this far, then I'd be able to throw this lighter thing this far. Right. But that assumes that you're standing totally still and you're just hucking that thing mm. with one movement of your upper body, whatever. Right. Maybe that works. Let's say it's an open stone. If I tell you to do a toes to board, but you're not allowed to like, you know, move your feet afterwards or anything, mm. you're not allowed to wind up at all. Okay. Yeah. You'll probably you know, you're going to see the difference, but once you add movement into it and you add timing, you add position into it, position changes. Yeah, man, you need to be able to do things at speed. And that's what the light implements are for. Mm. You know, the basic premise is heavy implements help you with positions. They make you feel positions more because when you hit those positions and you're connected properly, the implements heavy enough to where it's going to give you feedback that you've got that connection that you're there. And if you don't have that connection, it's going to punish you more than the regular implement would. The light implements are for developing speed through those positions. And that's an important word through, through Mm -hmm. the positions. So many people now get caught, especially when they're throwing just heavy stuff. They don't even realize this, but they get caught stuck in positions. They stick in positions and when they hit them, they feel it and they hesitate there because that's what they're looking for. And the heavy implement gives you time. The lighter implement gives you the ability to find that position and move through it with Uh, continued pace to have pace to move through it. So that's why you have to do both. But if you have to pick one, pick a lighter implement because you'll be able to get everything you need out of competition. I mean, look, I would rather you be throwing light. And I would rather you be throwing partials and variations at PR intensity than I would you going out and throwing your full throw all the time at PR intensity, because you're going to burn out. You're going to hit a wall. You're going to use up all your currency, i.e. your energy. You're going to use all that up and you're not going to get anything constructive out of it. So I would rather have a thrower that was hitting on a way up to a peak cycle. Let's say I would rather see somebody that was hitting PRs on their light stone, underweight light stone standing throw. I would rather see that 
than somebody throwing their 18, a man throwing their 18 pounder for a PR and their 18 pounder or whatever. I would rather see that light stone for a standing throw fest because that means you're popping. Right. You're a live wire. That means we've peaked you. And that means that, that I don't need to see a full rotation. I don't need to see a glide to know that. I know it's there. Now let's just work on your technique to get you to that explosive point. Awesome. Okay. So th that kind of segues into kind of the next thing I got you on, on, on here for is that um, when I first uh, started, uh, Matt Vincent had some great online content uh, going deep and where he would explain a lot of this stuff or a lot of uh, um, slow-mo camera, um, breaking down the, his throws. And, and it, it was very beneficial to me. Daniel McKim had a few good videos as well. And, yeah. uh, and you also, I didn't, uh, hadn't discovered you at first, but then I, I did discover, um, you and, and you also have the same thing, but now that Matt and Dan are retired, they're no longer making these kind of videos and it's not like their information's outdated or it's, it's gone, sure. but it's, it's, you know, you just need kind of a refresh and, um, outside of you, I don't really see, um, as much in the way of good tutorial kind of content or, um, content uh, expressing these things and that's part of the reason why I created this podcast for me is because uh well I was kind of thinking you know who's gonna want to listen to some uh okay thrower from Al Alberta trying his best uh, <laughs> yeah. ar around the world so I, I kind of decided to have a focus on Alberta just um, because I know the people here and, and that kind of stuff and um, kind of feed into this community but what do you see out there um, as good tutorial that's that's newer that's not as old um on this kind of stuff yeah that's a that's a good question man and it's a tough one but i i will backtrack a bit to say i do like your approach of you know focus on alberta focus on your home focus on where you are focus on your community um i think in a larger sense that's a big part of not just highland games in my entire life that's a big part of my philosophy is um i, I think most good work most important work can be done in your community and in your backyard. Right. Um, you know, dumb, you know, start with yourself, like influence your family, influence your community. Maybe that gets bigger after that, but if not, you've still done good work. And I, I like that. You know, I've, I have the luck of having a platform that extends in Highland games beyond my local group. I, I've, I've had the f good fortune of that, but I would say that on a day-to-day -day basis, I make more difference in my own community. So right. I dig that man. Um, now there, that being said, I know that there are plenty of people around the country that are like putting together throwing groups every week and that coach each other and work with each other. And they probably have, you know, group chats and videos and everything where they critique each other. And that's stuff that is happening on the local level and happening between people. So that's, that's out there for sure. Um, right. That's why it's so important to try to find people to throw with. Yep. It's so important to find that that's, you know, that's better than any video content I can make or anybody else can make is yep. just, throwing together and learning together, or maybe having somebody that has some experience. That's the best thing you can get. Um, but, you know, in terms of the online content, no, like there is a little bit of a hole there. And I'm even guilty of it right now. I haven't put out a ton of great content, you know, in the past, it's been a weird year, right? So yeah, like, it's not like I've been competing and training to compete or anything like that. And, yeah. you know, the podcast went on hiatus till the season starts again. Like that's, you know, it's just not, we're in a weird year because it's a very, it's a festival driven sport and that requires gatherings and we're just, mm. you know, <laughs> it's yep. not going to happen. Yep. Um, you know, I will. And I thought about this because I, you know, coming in, I knew this was something we were going to talk about. And I think the reason that you see a drop off 
and for, even from anybody that's like making a ton of content, you know, that's, you know, like Matt was and like Dan was making a lot of content is this is cynical. I understand it, but there's no money in it, man. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and the, there's, that, that's just the, you know, I've, I, I, there's no non douchey way to say this. Like <laughs> I've made more money than a lot of people ever have from the Highland games, right. plain and simple. I've reinvested a lot of it back into the Highland games, obviously, because I'm, I'm good. My bills are paid. We're warm. We're happy. It's fine. But you know, I made a lot of that not being a thrower. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there are pros that make money throwing and then, but that's, that's got a pretty limited scope. You can ask any of them how many bills that's paying for them these days. And it's, you know, it's not any, not serious money unless you're competing every single weekend of the year. Um, but there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of incentive to do this. Now do people like myself and like Matt and like Dan, do they do it for the money? No, that's not the point. Um, but the money enables the time, um, mm. if that makes sense. That's what I mean. That's what money gets you. Money right. buys you time. That's what it does. And, it, you know, there's a worthwhile point and everything. Like if I'm filming a ton of video and creating all this content, and everything like that, but it's taking away from my livelihood or my time with my family. I'm sorry. I love all you guys, but Highland Games is going to take second at best right. <laughs> um, if that's going to happen. So there's a worth it point. And I think, I think a lot of times, like somebody like Matt, like he was done with the games and retired. So, and his retirement was not one that he chose, you know, like he was injured and left. So I yes. think there's a little bit of like, he needed, the, I know this, I'm not guessing this. He needed some psychological distance from it. Mm. And, you know, creating content is for a sport that you're like, I don't get to do anymore, but everybody else does like in that moment, <laughs> that's not a cool feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, and but he's coming back now, like he's, he's doing more stuff. I think he's talking about doing clinics and things like that. So I think that's great. I love that. That's he's getting, you know, he's healthy to the point where he feels like he can talk about it again. Yeah. Um, but there's a deeper issue to it as well, that it's not just about the money, obviously it's about the time, but it's also about this sport, when you make content for it, or you do anything to try to, to grow it or anything like that, is you have to understand that this sport, all of its fans are also participants. Ah, uh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's yeah. no there's no broader fan base that's checking in on Nazga to see who's number one right now. <laughs> there's no, yeah. you know, there's no non-Highland Games thrower that's watching my Highland Games content. Anybody that comes to my YouTube channel for other stuff like you know, hunting or my personal life or anything like that, they click right through that stuff and don't watch it because they're not Highland Games throwers. So there's not a bigger platform coming. The only way to have more uh, eyes and the way to have, you know, to, to influence more people or to, you know, if, if your goal is to grow a business is to have more people participating in the sport. But when you have more people participating in the sport, you then get a dilution of like competition level and you get a dilution of, you know, the ability of people like a dilution of communities, I guess, like there's a broader spectrum, a broader variety of communities out there and people can find things in different places. So it's, it, it's tough in this sport. Uh, you know, this is a lesson that I've learned. If anybody wants to you know come up and try to be an entrepreneur in the Highland games, I'm just going to warn you is that there's not a lot of money hmm. and, the money that is there is going to the festivals in the eighties to get the sport on the field. Right. So, you know, there's not, it's not a sport with a ton of expendable income flying around and a ton of people that like, 
are seeing it and want to get into it because it's cool and fun. Like it doesn't have the same vibe as powerlifting because everybody that powerlifts can go to the gym and get a barbell and weights, Yeah, you know, okay. and like to do our stuff, it's like, well, you know, spend about $300 on weights. <laughs> right. Like, you know, that's, that's tough. That's a tough barrier for entry. Or you got to find some people that'll do it. It's old and it's weird enough. Now the old and weird is why we like it. Right. <laughs> like that's what we like. And we want that. That's kind of like me, old and weird. Old and weird, correct. You know, it, it, you, you become what you love, right? And so, um, but yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is that you don't see, you have these lulls in content like this. Um, because when other things are not equal and there's not other ways to, you know, you're not doing it regularly, it's really hard for people to, you know, especially like in the pandemic, I'll say in like the last year or so, it's really hard for anybody, especially me to want to make a lot of content for something that I'm not actively doing. At the yeah. Time. Yeah. Right. Uh, but again, the other reason I'll say is that there's a dearth of people. Otherwise is it's cynical and I understand it sounds cynical and, but there's just not, there's not a lot of reward in it. I, you know, we've got a few people that, you know, um, there's guys in uh, Texas, Oklahoma area. And there's like Jeremy Coltharp, a um, couple other guys like Stanton Jones. They've tried to do some YouTube channels and stuff like that, but <laughs> it's really hard for people in this sport to be fans of someone and follow them and really like, you know, just like want to follow without thinking like, well, I can do that too. I throw further than he does. Right. Right. You right. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like everybody's doing this sport for the same reasons I did a lot of times. Like I don't, not everybody. You know, I think, I think just hearing your story, you sound different than I do, but a lot of people are like me. There are people that were athletes who got congratulated and pat on the back and treated well because they were athletes when they were younger. And they come to this sport because they like that, or they never got that. And they really, really want that out of this sport. They want to feel like I'm the, I'm the attraction. Yeah. So people get into this sport to not just, there's a, Look, there's a large number of people that just do it because they love it and they show up and they hang out with their friends and they do it. But a lot of the people that are going out there to create content and want to like get known for it and stuff, that's why they're getting into the sport is because they want to get known. They want to get, they want to use this as a platform to get somewhere else. And if you have so many people doing that, you know, that's at least the dilution thing. Now I'm I'm rambling here. I understand if you need to stop me, but the reason there's a, you can, how many powerlifting influencers are there? 40 bajillion, right? Mm. There's a, a lot of them, but there is a lot more money flowing into the industries around that, that are around like supplement industries, like equipment industries, like um, rogue you know, like fitness and different rogue, things like that. the apparel yeah. industry that goes along with the identity that goes along with that. There's a lot of money flowing around that. So there's a lot of niches for influencers and people that are making instructional content to fit. Uh, into. I see. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, but in Highland games, we don't there's sport kilt and there's me. <laughs> you know, like there's you know there there's throw bros there's there's sport kilt and there's a couple of smaller companies that you know will kind of come in and out and stuff like that and support but there's not a lot of constants in there um so that that's a, a long-winded answer but i think that's why there's sort of a dearth is because everybody wants to get some shine or some clout or some influence from it like i did i'm not i'm not saying you're not like I'm guilty of it. I did yeah. it. I just, ha- I just happened to get a little bit. Right. <laughs> I, I right. happened to be lucky to get some. It's because of you your know, silky was, smooth voice. That's why you're silky smooth voice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's look, man, dude, I was the co-founder of hate brand goods. I was working. I was, that's where I got a lot of my platform from. I didn't get it from being a great thrower. Like, you know, and that's, 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 I use that instead of just saying like, well, that's cool. I'll just, you know, post. 
of me looking cool. Like I figured like I would do something to give back to the sport that got me here. Mm. And, but that's the choice that I got to make out of that. Could I have gone on and gotten supplement sponsorships or whatever? Maybe, I don't know. Like, could I have been a, like a, you know, a true influencer and maybe I could have taken that, but that, that doesn't interest me. Highland games interest me. Right. And I, I think that to put a bow on it, like, I think the reason that I'll probably continue to do content and the reason that I'll keep a podcast going, even if I'm not competing anymore, that I'll continue to make some sort of content or be part of it is, is that I settled with the fact that like, I'm not going to get rich off of Highland games. I'm not going to get famous off of Highland games. I'm just a Highland games dude. Like I I like this. I like the sport. I like the execution of it. I like coaching it a lot. I really like teaching it. So that's enough. That mm-hmm. that's enough for me. It, but I think if if you can get more people like that doing it without having to wait 10 years and realize they're not going to be famous, right. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can, maybe you'll have more people making content, but like, they're well, out there. It'll it come in waves. It's like, well, why doesn't anyone want my signature when I go in the superstore? Right. Yeah. Store? What's, what's going, what's <laughs> what's going, going on, on here? <laughs> like I wore my kilt and everything. Why are they not, why didn't they recognize me? So yeah. it sounds like uh, to kind of summarize the, the thing that, is kind of unique and weird and interesting about the Highland games that we're attracted to is also kind of a thing that, that goes against its uh, mass appeal, I guess you can say. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, 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 you know, the medievalness of it, the, the, you like to talk about the spectacle of it and all that yeah. kind of, kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's a harder sport to get into than, like you said, powerlifting, which is quite an easy entry sport to to get into and and that makes it hard for people to you know want to click online to see technique and want to um check out everybody's standings in in the in the records and all, all that kind of stuff um it's kind of like a good thing and a bad thing yeah i mean look man it's a it's it's a cultural celebration sport it's right. not it's not track and field. And you know why it's not track and field? Because they took all the parts that you could standardize from Highland games and turned them into track and field. They turned them into throwing events already, right, right. you know, shot put hammer discus, you know, they, they've taken the things that are fundamental that work and they standardized those and those became track and field. So you're not going to find a niche in modern sport for Highland games. Right. You have to be okay with the spectacle yeah. and you have to, you know, like understand that, there's a niche appeal to this and once in a while people are going to do a video what is the highland games we'll see what what do we see one of those every 18 months probably yeah like somebody does like a local news yeah. channel or right. like a youtube does it like what is the highland what is games? This? <laughs> and we have to reteach all the time what what the highland yes. games is yeah and it's like 20 minutes on the caber and like 30 seconds on everything else. And like, and it's just, it's like some dude that we all know, like yeah. giving him an instruction or like, Oh yeah, there's Justin cool. He's Justin. talking to the news channel about it, but yeah. And that's what it's going to be forever. And just you be okay with that. Like yeah. try to improve the sport and try to add to the knowledge base, try to add to the technology part of it out of the love and don't expect anything back because right. it's not coming. It's a, you're, you're talking to, you're talking to one of the most successful people in the Highland games, economic sphere. And I'm telling you, don't wait around for it to pay your bills. Okay. Just do it because you love it. And then if it pays for itself, that's the golden goose, man, is having any hobby that pays for itself. That's the golden goose. That's what you need to chase. And that's what you should look for. That took me about five years. I'm kind of at that point now where, you know, (laughs) the winnings kind of pay for my gas. 
There you go. That, yeah, that's, that's all you should be looking for. Like, did I come out revenue neutral or at least I just paid for food? Like, is that, you know, that, yeah, that's, that's being a pro in my eyes. Well, that's awesome. Um, tell us where we can uh, find you, find your product. I've tried your tossing sauce and it, it's good stuff. And uh, oh, thank you. No, no problem. And uh, yeah, th- tell us where our listeners can find some of your content and anywhere we can find you. Yeah, no, first place, obviously go to throwbros.com. Um, that is, that's my baby. That's mine and Aaron's uh, company. We do our best we can to supply the Highland games. Um, you know, the toss and sauce, the tacky is obviously our number one seller. That's the best tacky on the market. I'm a little biased. I understand, but, uh, yeah, we, 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 you know, boot blades, um, you know, she forks all the books and resources we talked about mine and other people's are all available there. Um, and then you can get links to coaching, um, through the throw bro side, there's a link up there for coaching. Uh, you can also find that at mikebeach.com. That's where I, you know, if whatever level of throw you are, if you want weekly programming for your throwing, just like the stuff that comes out of the heavy light book, but you want it kind of made, um, in real time, you want it made for a season. Um, that's what we offer. Also offer, um, weight room. Uh, we have heavy light lifting and, uh, and then we do those as a package deal as well. So that's a, that's kind of my, where a lot of my effort goes. And just to harken back to look, man, I, I may not put out a lot of like public content lately, but like every week, every week I'm writing programming for athletes and every week I'm doing a dozen or more video reviews for people. That's a part of the coaching is that every week you get access to a video review, like where I get to look at a movement and look through it. So, you know, there's, a, I'm always thinking of the sport and that's always, you know, I'm trying to keep the blade sharp, so to speak in that. And then otherwise, you can find me on Instagram, beach with nine E's. Cause you know, I, I didn't want to put any numbers in my name. That seems silly. <laughs> Just put E's on there until it worked. And then, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, and the, yeah. You can find my, you can find my, uh, my coaching and athlete page on Facebook. Just look for Mike beach on there. If you're in, if you're connected to any Highland games, people, Facebook will figure it out for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And then YouTube channel, um, just look for Mike Beach on YouTube. And that's where you find a lot of the stuff. Um, the podcast is the heavy light podcast, heavy slash light. Um, that is, it's currently on hiatus because there's no season and, uh, probably going to make that more of a seasonal format instead of an all the time format, because look in the middle of December, nobody has anything to talk about in Highland games. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just wait till the spring where everybody's throwing again, but that'll be coming back soon. So throw a subscription that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We, uh, uh, I know I, uh, had a really good time recording this and thank you for coming on here. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it, man. And stay warm up there. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give it my best effort. And I, I can actually say to you guys down there, stay warm down there now. <laughs> yes. Well, we're, <laughs> we're through with our four days of winter now, so it's coming back around. <laughs> it's, we're going to be just fine. Around. And then I hope to see you. I'm planning to try to make it to Austin this year. And I'm guessing you would be there as well. Awesome, man. No, uh, yeah, I'm planning on it. It's going to be my backyard. So if I'm yeah. healthy enough to compete or if I, uh, if I'm not too hungover, I'll make sure to stumble out there. Well, if we ever, if I ever do make it down there, I'll, uh, we'll grab a beer or something together. I love it, man. Sounds like a plan. All right. Have a good one. You too. See ya.